0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Federal criminal investigators are required to attend periodic training sessions. They go to any of several locations of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, or FLETC. Investigators allege that during training periods, they are asked to work overtime, but not getting the overtime pay they're entitled to. So they filed a class action lawsuit. Here with the details, the managing director of the law firm McGillivray Steele Elkin, Greg McGillivray. Greg, good to have you on.
2: Thank you. Good to be on.
1: Tell us about this suit. This is a class action suit, but let me ask you about the federal criminal investigators. These are people in a variety of agencies, correct?
2: That's correct. There are, I think, 14 or 15 different agencies in the federal government. Their criminal investigators is an occupational code that OPM has, and their pay is specifically defined that they receive something called law enforcement availability pay for unscheduled overtime a 25% premium, but for scheduled overtime, like other federal employees, are supposed to receive time and a half overtime pay. And what the lawsuit's about is when they go to the federal law enforcement training centers and are training, they're told that they have to work on a six day of training, six days. And when they complained about that, they're told, oh, you're a criminal investigator, you don't receive overtime pay, which is, of course, wrong. And actually, one of the clients told me a story where he actually knew because we had represented him when he was a Border Patrol agent. He knew the pay laws well. And he said, no, that's wrong. And he was told to shut up and that he gets leap pay and that's all he's going to get.
1: Well, is this the fault of the agencies that sent them to training or is it the fault of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center?
2: It's the fault of the training center itself. I've received a number of emails from criminal investigators over the years who have gone to the training center since we filed the lawsuit and this has apparently been the practice for many years that they're just told, you know, you're in training, you be quiet, you're not getting any extra pay. So it's the training centers themselves.
1: Yeah. Normally people are paid by the agency that sent them to Fletsy, And so wouldn't they report? Well, I mean, how does this work mechanically? They're
2: told not to report. They're, I see. They're told not to report the scheduled overtime and not put in for the scheduled overtime. And the Fletsy supervisory personnel are the ones who approve their pay while they're at Fletsy.
1: Has anyone tried to report it anyway?
2: No, because they're in a very vulnerable spot when they're going through training. So, no, they have not. But we have, as we attach to the complaint, we have the schedules that show that they were scheduled to work overtime. And the fact that the employee didn't report it is not going to be any sort of a barrier to their recovery of damages. That's not a defense.
1: I guess I'm wondering what is the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center's incentive, since, again, I'm presuming that the pay comes from the agencies that they are working for and not from Fletzy.
2: I'm sure it has to do with the interaction between the agency and Fletzy, and how much they think it'll cost to send their people to Fletzy. So... FLETC doesn't want to increase the costs for the agencies to send their people to training by telling them they're going to have to pay overtime on top of losing their people to the training itself, but yet when they're at the training centers, they, I guess for whatever reason, they want to make sure they train six days a week.
1: We're speaking with Greg McGillivray. He is the managing partner of the law firm McGillivray Steel Elkin. And how long are they typically at Fletzi for a training period? If they're working six days, then at least a week, correct?
2: Twelve weeks is the normal time period that they go, but of course they have refresher training courses that are two to four weeks as well.
1: So in a 12-week period then, they could accrue up to 12 days or almost two and a half weeks of overtime. That's correct. So this is not a trivial amount of money then that we're talking about.
2: No, I think we're looking at probably five to ten thousand dollars per plaintiff who's gone through the twelve week program. I do want to point out also that it's a class action, but the class actions that are filed against the federal government are opt in class actions, which means, you know, most people are used to opt out where five or six people file for a group of employees. You can't do that against the federal government. Everybody will have to join the lawsuit to participate, but the process is is that the court, if they certify the class, they'll send out a notice to all of the criminal investigators to give them a chance to join.
1: And how many people are potentially entitled to join this suit?
2: Well, I'm not sure of the precise number. I know that there's over 40,000 criminal investigators, but there's a six-year statute of limitations. So the 12-week training is the basic training, so that's when they first come on. And I'm guesstimating that there's probably ten to 15,000 that are eligible.
1: Wow. So what is the timeline here?
2: Well, the timeline is we're hoping that uh, if the government cooperates in discovery, we're hoping that we can wrap up the suit in about a year and a half or so, which under the law is fairly quick.
1: Because we've seen other class action lawsuits with respect to people that were not paid during layoffs because of the uh, government shutdowns. And in those cases, it took the government about 10 years, I think, to figure out everyone's individual pay.
2: Yeah, the one government shutdown case has really dragged out quite a while, and we wouldn't anticipate anything like that happening here. There's no reason that we would have to do that. We do a lot of pay cases in our law firm. We have an expert witness who can calculate the damages when we get the pay records, and um, that's why I think we can move it along pretty quickly.
1: And just out of curiosity in the practice that you have, what are the most common kinds of pay disputes that come up between federal employees and the government?
2: It depends on the uh, type of job. For you know, like the Border Patrol and uh, for we've represented a lot of prison guards, they have a lot of unpaid work time claims. Like uh, at prisons, they'll have a meal period that they're forced to stay on their post and they won't want to pay them for that, or they'll have them come in. 15, 20 minutes early each day, go through some security checks and also go through debriefing and exchange of equipment, et cetera, and they don't want to pay them for that. So we've had a number of those cases with the Border Patrol that was coming into work you know, 20 to 30 minutes early. It was engaging in all sorts of activities off the clock that they were required to do like gun cleaning and firearms training, things like that. So, you know, it's a variety of different things. There's often agencies don't want to budget for um, all the work time that people perform and other times they just miscalculate. We had a case for the air traffic controllers where they took credit hours instead of comp time and they didn't pay them for the credit hours and they just didn't pay them for their overtime. And, uh, you know, we were able to cover about $15 million for the air traffic controllers on that.
1: And I guess I'm surprised because you would think of all places the federal government would have pay as kind of a cut-and-dried affair, but I guess that's not the case.
2: No, it, it's interesting that we also represent private employees, and the federal government is not that different in that they have budgets, and if they can save money off the backs of the employees, then they'll do it. And I think in this case, particularly when they're training the criminal investigators to follow the law, and then they're telling them, oh, but we're not going to follow the law on the overtime laws. We, you keep your mouth shut. We're not, we're not paying you. Even though that's a law, that just seems a little ironic to me.
1: I imagine some of the investigators could be those working for Labor Department investigating private employers.
2: That's correct. Yeah, they have criminal investigators. There's criminal investigators in a lot of different agencies enforcing a lot of different laws for the federal government.
1: Greg McGillivray is managing partner of the law firm McGillivray Steel Elkin. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you. And by the way, if someone wants to sign up for the suit, do they go to your firm website and be able to do it there?
2: They need to contact us. Yeah, just shoot us an email and we have a way to sign up and communicate with them to make sure they're eligible.
1: All right. We'll post this interview along with that link at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
3: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama Administration. And he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me.
0: And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's
3: environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style?
0: uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward.
3: <laughs> Perfect.
0: that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the 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 massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. and But it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there've been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Ch- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, of of them of, of what I could.
3: It's fantastic. It's a great great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who was the most impactful leader in your life, and what quality did you admire about them?
0: You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who. Uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most. And that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the the idea that leaders have vision, uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King.
3: Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background in federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. um, What comes to mind there?
0: Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the the fortunate opportunity, we didn't have a Secretary of Commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors was inaugurated. And the President asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and 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 the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the secretary of commerce. And I, I, my office was on the floor, at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back, to the blue carpet and said, and I told Secretary Locke, you gotta go down and sit down and talk with regular common everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me, if, if there was some advice, like counsel, I could give, is to continue to do your work. But, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do.
3: RICK Thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today.
0: But thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
3: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care.
0: A financial plan isn't just about money.